this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I'm bringing you the astrology forecast for April 21st to April 27th, 2021, in which we have a full moon in Scorpio and Mercury and Venus join up in Taurus and activate the Saturn Uranus square, which is active, um, a really characteristic transit of 2021, the Saturn Uranus square. And I, I talk about it earlier on the podcast, um, as well as on YouTube. So you can just let me actually see what episode of the podcast it is just for ease here. So it's episode 85. And since we have so much Uranus and Taurus activity this week um, with the inner planets, you know, Mercury and Venus and the sun as well in Taurus. And so kind of reactivating this Uranus and Taurus storyline, I want to share something that I wrote on Instagram the other day that's titled navigating our personality patterns is embodiment. Uranus spends around seven years in Taurus and the path of liberation with this transit is embodiment. Uranus is a a planet of liberation. So we're just going to put those two things together. They're keywords, but the more we reflect and deepen, you know, what is liberation through embodiment? That's the juice. So this shows up in how we literally relate to our body and things like food and movement. And it is also how we take ownership over the process of refining our personality. Personality can be rigid. It can be a defense mechanism. It can be a trauma response. As long as we play out these particular personality patterns, it tints the behavior of people in our environment too. It's one thing to externalize it and say it's the other people, but it's far more radical to get to the bottom line of how we're part of the story. The person who runs a lot of fawning trauma response. So fawning is when you, you're especially placating and you acquiesce and you want to make everyone around you happy and, oh, it's okay. It's all good. I'll take care of you. Anything you want. Like that's kind of fawning. The person who runs a lot of fawning trauma response naturally hosts a lot more space and receptivity for people who are running aggressive, narcissistic, or bully-like energy. I know because I've been there as a fawner and I've had to learn how to hold myself differently to stop colluding with people running the complementary shadow energy. To reverse it, a person who is extremely willful and domineering is going to constellate conflicting personalities as well as people running doormat energy. I've also been on this side. When people just go along with you, you know, they're fawning or they don't want to trouble with it. You might not fully realize what is happening. It's when you start to notice the way people respond to you and that you get the critical awareness that maybe you are being aggressive in a not so good way. What I've just said is controversial because there is a cultural momentum right now around demanding that bad or harmful people take accountability for themselves and that we not blame the victim. Even this rise in persecutory thinking is an egoic personality pattern that runs bully and fawning energy. If we want to get beneath that, I think a profound liberation that Uranus and Taurus points to is tending to our internal garden, contemplating what kinds of reflections we receive from others in the reality around us and how we want to cultivate certain reflections and disrupt other ones by the way that we conduct ourselves. This is embodiment too, and it changes the world from within. So a few extra thoughts on that. Astrology and evolutionary astrology, Pluto-focused astrology has been a massive language for me to contemplate different personality patterns, to self-reflect, and to see the ways that I'm participating with reality. And I think that this is actually, you know, it's not just about understanding ourselves, that's part of it, 
but it's about gaining more options in how we play with life and how we express ourselves and how we engage our personality consciously instead of running these egoic programs and then having these consequences come up from the egoic programs and thinking that life is just out to get us or that other people are toxic, you know, when we're also part of the story. And that kind of that level of soul accountability that's internal actually changes our lives and it influences the world around us because when we're not so egoic anymore, but then we come back to ourselves and our soul and this kind of play opens up, we participate with reality in a way that lights these amazing sparks around us. We step more into our dharma. We actually embody that maxim of being the change that we want to see in the world. So I just, this thought had been brewing for a couple of days of, you know, I want to write a post about this. I want to name this, that embodiment is also about our personality because our personality is not the fullest expression of who we are. You know, it's part of our, um, ego. And if you, if you're familiar with my perspective on this, I don't think of the ego as a bad thing. I'm not about destroying the ego, Um, or trying to get rid of it, but becoming aware of what patterns it's running and reconditioning, deconditioning, having a creative relationship. So for example, it's egoic to believe that everyone hates you. It's a filter of consciousness and having that ego pattern has some unfortunate consequences, right? You might feel um, under attack. You might feel really shy or withdrawn or scared, right? Versus if you are running the personality program that you're lovable and that people find you interesting and that you're a good conversationalist or whatever it is, then you're going to have a different experience. So the ego is kind of like a filter or a program and it's about becoming aware of these things and not just taking them as truth in of themselves, not just taking them at face value, but actually getting curious about what is my actual potential in this life? What is my power? And how can my personality be really a meaningful vessel for that which is wanting to come through me? For all of the people that I talk to around, you know, visibility and feeling like they can express themselves online or be who they are in the world, their ego has to get on board with that, right? Like all of those fears about what will people think of me or, you know, what if I look stupid in public or what if I say the wrong thing? Like those are all egoic things. And so even someone who has like a full presence in the world, they had to get over themselves to do it. (laughs) Right. Not necessarily some people's worldly expression is egoic, but I think maybe you catch my drift here essentially is that there's an embodiment about becoming aware of how our personality is hindering us or how we can engage personality to actually be authentic and be ourselves in the world. And for that, I think that working with astrology is an amazing tool and especially evolutionary astrology, which works with the lunar nodes and the lunar nodes are literally about the personality patterns that you've had for multiple lifetimes. And it's an arc that you're bringing into this lifetime. I can't tell you how profound it is to locate that string, you know, like it's a it's like a stringed instrument or like a harp or something where you pluck it and it resonates a chord that goes so deep. It lights up all your memories from this lifetime and it feels deeper than this lifetime because it is (laughs) our early life is a expression, you know, in this cosmology and how I align with it. Our early life is a karmic repository of the past. A lot of the things that we encounter in early life are, are touching on our memory stream from things that happened in prior lives that are still, you know, unresolved potentially, or things that we just needed to remember. 
We don't come into this life blank slates. <laughs> we have a history. And I think that part of the creative game of this life is having an awareness of what our history is, but also having an awareness of our options moving forward and how we can be more flexible or fluid or creative with what opportunities are actually available to us. And if our ego is thick, it's harder to see those things. So that's why I think that working with personality can actually be very spiritual is that it is a layer of our earthly and human experience and it is something to tend to. So my evolutionary astrology intensive is beginning May 10th, 2021, and we'll go through the Zodiac, the planets, the houses, aspects and aspect theory, like planetary phases and learn how to put it all together. It's actually an all levels course. I'll be talking a little bit more about it in the announcements, so I'll stop here, but you can check the link in the notes for the course page and learn more about it and enroll. Okay. I'll get into this week's forecast now. Sabrina Monarch of Monarch Astrology, bringing you the astrology of April 21 to April 27th. And if you missed me last week, you can always find the forecasts. I pretty much write them every single week and also get them onto YouTube most weeks. Um, but if you see me missing on here on YouTube, you can always check monarchastrology.com and see if there's a written version of the forecast this week. Um, but I'm back and we have a full moon in Scorpio coming up. Pluto will station retrograde just afterward. So we have Pluto stationing, a full moon in Scorpio. You can already feel this kind of simmering. Mars is going to enter Cancer. We have Mercury and Venus. Uh, they will join up in Taurus and they will conjunct Uranus and square Saturn activating the current Saturn Uranus square that's characterizing 2021. So it's actually a pretty dynamic week. It feels very cauldrony and it feels moody to be honest. And keeping that in mind, uh, I notice sometimes during, you know, moon and Scorpio or something like that, that moody doesn't necessarily mean unpleasant. <laughs> it can also just be emotionally activated, but I also tuned into some ways to enjoy this astrology to the fullest, uh, some recommendations or some ways to tune into it. Um, because I don't, when I'm looking at this, it doesn't seem bad. Uh, it just seems thick and juicy. So, uh, let's get into it. My read essentially is that this astrology asks for a deeper state of surrender and grounding with what is. We're looking at a whole, you know, Taurus stellium and Scorpio relates to intimacy. And I do think that part of intimacy is being with and what, what better way to be with uh, than to relate to what's actually happening as opposed to removing ourselves back a few frames, wishing that things were different or not accepting what's currently happening, you know, just plunging in, being with. Personally, after years of thinking that, uh, thinking of fantasy as aspirational and having a practice where um, I get into higher states of consciousness or I go into a vision state, and I weave inspired visions from those realms into this life um, with my actions. And because of this, you know, weaving, and I do consider that a huge part of my magic, um, I've always thought of fantasy as a good thing and as a visionary path. And in the last couple of months, my thinking has evolved on this where I don't see that as the only way to get into a deeper, more inspired relationship with reality. Right. And for me, the commitment to actually executing ideas sourced from these visionary states was a way to ground it, to bring it down to earth. However, in forming a practice with this idea that what is already happening is a reflection of our desire. 
I contacted this idea through Perry Chase, who I study with. This has brought me down deeper to earth and helped me feel connected in a way that's difficult to actually convey the full profundity of it. So playing with this concept that I have everything I want already and not in a kind of fantasy way of, you know, I'm thinking that so that I manifest that as a truth later down the road or something, but actually know everything around me is a actual reflection of my desire. Um, this merges me with the raw materials of life. So not trying to create distance from life or wish it any other way, but to actually be with it. So I offer this anecdote or meditation in the spirit that we have a Taurus stellium opposing the full moon in Scorpio. Uh, the full moon is always opposite sun to moon as the sun is part of a Taurus stellium opposing the alone moon in Scorpio. So choosing this life and the raw materials of this life, Taurus, does feel like a death, Scorpio, if we were really invested in a fantasy. And as someone with a large fantasy life, I can tell you what that descent feels like when you give up that and are just with what actually is, which is not to give up on one's dreams or anything like that. But to see this living material life as the dream itself and not something that needs to be escaped from. So my theory and play with it and let me know what you think. You can, you know, say hi in the comments. Tell me what you think in general. But if you play with this idea um, or have experiences this week related to the astrology, let me know in the comments. Um, my theory is that in this astrological landscape that we currently find ourselves in, the more we radically accept what is currently happening, the more resource we will feel in participating in reality in an embodied, inspired way. So acceptance doesn't mean complacency. Acceptance is a form of intimacy and being with. And from that state of acceptance, does that resource your mind or your um, intuition to participate differently than if you were hovering above and outside of what currently is. Maybe it's the Saturn Uranus square and I'm dropping the link below for this video if you want to get a sense of the 2021 zeitgeist because the Saturn Uranus square is active all year. Um, but I'm getting this image of the parallels between being souls who jump into a human incarnate experience and being people who jump into a, a virtual reality game, like a level, level of fractal patterns or something. It's my suspicion that pretty much everyone has some amount of resistance to how deeply they are willing to jump into the game that is life, you know, or we reach these new thresholds of opening or deepening. As we resist parts of ourselves or circumstances or conditions that um, we just don't uh, accept, <laughs> we don't see them as qualities to be engaged with. When we do this, we hover a little bit above the game instead of inside of it, you know, trying to kind of be holier than thou over the game because we're judging and not accepting things as opposed to like grounding down in being in it. Instead of playing with what we've got, right? But when we drop further in, we start to notice that synchronicities occur. We have what we need when we need it. We meet the people we need to meet when we need to meet them. And, you know, let's think about this holistically for anyone here who's really spiritually inclined. Um, some people are kind of like naturally very open in their upper chakras and their crown and their third eye, or they're more cerebral, more in their head. And there's a spiritual deepening that comes from going down into the root and being here, right? Um, we want all of our systems, like our whole kind of chakra connection lit up 
And I think that it's a misguided idea that the the things, you know, the lower chakras are kind of more terrestrial uh, and the upper chakras are more spiritual or more cosmic when, you know, earth is a celestial body in other parts of the solar system, the earth would be another planet, you know, and we're here and the earth is so mysterious and alive and sentient and our bodies contain mysteries and layers of opening. So when we drop into the terrestrial or into the tangible or into the material, it's not just basic mundane shit. <laughs> like there's actually, you know, some deep spiritual mysteries that come from dropping in. Another magical thing about gameplay is that there is both the tangible experience of the play, of the gameplay, but also the maps and the cerebral quality to it. Um, you know, think of any game that you've played that's a, a more complex game. You may have studied the strategy of the game outside of actually playing it. So some ideas or frequencies of consciousness will actually resource us more than others when it comes to playing the game of life, you know, mindset, empowered thinking, all of that. So this creates some importance on connecting with the thought forms that light us up and energize us or um, have a resonance, like an actual real resonance. If you don't already have a practice of tuning into how thoughts feel in your body, this is a powerful one and something that will be really cool to tune in with as Mercury and Uranus conjunct in Taurus. And Mercury is the mind. Uranus is a higher octave of Mercury and Taurus relates to the body. So we're talking about somatic intelligence and intuition here. So once you know what expansion or power or bliss or truth, any of these things feel like in your physicality, you know, if you tune in to asking your body, body, show me what truth feels like, you know, or, um, bring to mind something that you know is is so deeply true to you and feel what that feels like to start to create a calibration system. As you deepen into this, and I know a lot of you, you know, already do this, but you can recognize what mental concepts vibrate in resonance with that feeling state. And, you know, there's some there's some thick programming and conditioning in this reality. Uh, there's density here on the earth plane. And when it comes to remembering who we are at a deep level and remembering truth and being in touch with our higher self, these are like stations of consciousness. And the more that we tune in and the more that we bond with the activities or the ideas that connect us with that frequency, the less bound we are by the densities uh, that we don't want to be shackled with here. As these transits coalesce this week, there is an opportunity to simply be more dropped in. That's what I keep talking about. This can feel disillusioning or it may feel like a homecoming. Yet at some point, what is true also feels good and it feels good to be home. So I will get into our transits in more detail in a moment with a few announcements. One, uh, if you're here, please go ahead and like this video if you haven't already. Subscribe, hit the notification bell so you know when new videos come out. If you're listening on Magic of the Spheres podcast, I always appreciate reviews. Um, if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality, several hours of lecture content about the intersections between astrology and manifestation. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch. That's one of the places that I like to hang out. And you can get on my mailing list to be the first to know when my books open and my books did open. I told the mailing list and they're almost sold out. I'm not sure if there will still be spots available by the time this video is out. Um, 
but definitely get on my mailing list if you want to be notified first about astrology reading openings, as well as to be in the know about upcoming courses and to get the forecast delivered to you every week. The next Evolutionary Astrology Intensive begins May 10th, 2021. The deadline to sign up is May 7th, so we're getting close. This is a foundational course about understanding this karmic soul-based astrology that's so close to my heart. We go through the signs, the planets, the aspects, how to put it all together with Pluto and the lunar nodes to gain like a karmic portrait um, of the natal chart. What patterns, uh, what themes have you brought into this life from prior lives and how are you evolving and resolving some of those themes in this life? Uh, Similar to that dropping in theme that I was talking about Pluto is the underworld. (laughs) Pluto is the deep psyche. Um, So it is a lot of mystery teachings about transmutation and transformation and catharsis and allure. Why are we drawn to things? Why do we get obsessed with things? Um, And really being on this embodied kind of growth path in life where we're not neglecting or overlooking, you know, the traumas of life, but figuring out how they are the perfect theater through which we are working out our karmas um, and moving into more of a Dharma state with our self-awareness. Pluto relates to radical free will. Uh, The more we understand ourselves at a depth level, understand our complexes or our shadow, for example, that we gain increasing levels of true free will. I just love this course. Um, I love the communities that gather. I, you know, I have been through higher education, have a master's degree. And in my, my last stint of education, getting that degree, the master's, I was starting to teach this course. And I really observed my teachers who I loved and picked up You know, what is it about this classroom community where everyone becomes friends with each other by the end of class or throughout class? Um, And so I really seek to create this as not just a amazing learning opportunity and a launching point to have a deeper relationship with astrology for the rest of your life, but to meet people um, and to be part of a cosmic community of like-minded people who are interested in depth-oriented astrology as well. And There's something so, you know, the class is in session now. And um, one of my students was talking about the deep resonance uh, that they feel from speaking this language and speaking it in a group. And there is really a musicality or a harmony to astrology, a sense of a language that touches these very deep parts of ourselves. And to be able to speak this language fluently with other people is is one of the things that I live for. Um, I also make myself available uh, to answer your questions as someone who's studied astrology with teachers. um, You know, I've had the blessing, the fortune to be in direct contact with my idols in the astrology world um, or people that, you know, I looked up to or people that I just adored and adored their vision of astrology and, having the capacity to talk with them directly would help me overcome blocks in my learning um, or just increase my fluency. So because that's part of my lineage, it's also important for me as a teacher to create a community space um, where we can be in dialogue about things about astrology and how you are um, working with these ideas. So if you want to learn more about the course, uh, its structure and more, you can check the course page, which will be linked below. And you can also read student testimonials there. And that's where you can enroll as well. And the intensive may be the only thing that you do in terms of studying with me, because it is um, deeply comprehensive in terms of its curriculum. Uh, But oftentimes people want to keep going and astrology is literally endless. So I also create different kinds of learning opportunities for alumni. And right now meteorite is in session, which is a nine month astrological embodiment accelerator. We're deepening into new parts, um, 
new frontiers within the curriculum, getting into the asteroid goddesses and um, synastry and transits and things like this. And students are also creating a creative project um, that they'll share at the end of class. So meteorite, I'm pretty sure will happen again. Um, but no matter what form it takes, um, I continue to create more opportunities to learn. So if you are looking for, you know, some astrological education in your life and you really vibe with these forecasts and the podcasts and whatnot, um, this course may be for you. And let's see one other or a few other announcements. My novel forthcoming fiction novel, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers, will be out late this spring. So stay tuned for more information about that. You can listen to the first two chapters. I read them <clears throat> on Magic of the Spheres podcast, episode 103. I'm really excited to share this with you. And there's a new episode of Magic of the Spheres out with Wendy May called Regenerative Purpose, Making Waves and the Two Sides of Abundance. This is such a peaceful, restorative, um, magical conversation about purpose and purpose as a very relational or dynamic feature in our lives, not something that can be grasped or owned, not something that is a thing. So check that out and... I'll get back into this week's forecast. On April 22nd, 2021, Venus in 10 degrees of Taurus will conjunct Uranus in 10 degrees of Taurus at 6.01 p.m. Pacific. This may correlate with erratic activities in matters of the heart, meaning that we might be surprised by our desires or preferences or the interactions we have with others may spark novel connections or triggers. You know, Uranus is a trauma planet. Uh, in addition, you know, it relates to radical freedom and individuation and also trauma. It's a very electric, high voltage planet. Um, I think, of course, there's some empowerment in recognizing where we get triggered, where we get activated and having a radical level of ownership for that, as opposed to projecting it outwardly. Um, and Venus and Taurus, you know, Taurus is such an internal garden. And so tracking, you know, what activates you, whether it is a, a kind of inspired activation or a more, you know, you can picture like the bull rubbing its foot in the dirt and it's kind of pissed off like that kind of activation too. And even just, uh, you know, when we expand our nervous system, we gain the capacity to notice like when we're feeling super activated, uh, and then have choice on how we want to act on that. And that's a form of relationship with ourself really. As Wendy May beautifully described in our recent interview uh, that I just shared, authenticity is not just about the real self versus the false self, but about wholeness, acknowledging and integrating parts of ourselves that we may have not before. There's a lot of opportunity for wholeness that can come up when we intimately track ourselves, noticing our feelings, our reactions, and our stories. This is a big one, noticing what our stories are, um, because we do make up stories in our heads about things that are happening. Uh, and if circumstances are more inherently neutral, but we're creating a story around it, it can be powerful to acknowledge and have ownership for the ways that we create narrative around things, <clears throat> because these narratives influence how we participate and some narratives are going to be more life-giving than others. So while Taurus may not be a creature of habit, or Taurus may be a creature of habit, my bad, Uranus is not. Uranus is erratic, unpredictable, uh, iconoclastic, unexpected. So take note of disturbances in your inner environment that feel out of nowhere or feel more dramatic or heightened than usual. While we may not understand these activations immediately, as we digest them, we gain self-awareness. And if you want to kind of open yourself to this excitement of the Venus-Uranus journey, uh, 
there's certain games uh, or certain kind of magical practices. Like I've talked about it on the pod or on the podcast on this channel before too, about deciding when you wake up in the morning that it's going to be a wonderful day, that it's going to be the best day of your life. Even if there's nothing on your calendar, on your plans that really validates that you're opening to the idea of playing with quantum reality and having fun uh, because you decided it. And I think that, you know, Venus and Taurus relating so much to pleasure and you're honest, the unexpected. Sometimes we have to create our own unexpected pleasure um, through our mindset and how open we are to that as a possibility. And that's kind of how the magic works is that we're always kind of in various states of openness or non-openness to particular circumstances. And that's influencing what we experience. So when we play with those codes behind the scenes and decide that we're more open to having fun or we're more open to meeting someone or more open to having pleasure, like these things magnetize more um, as we internally open to them. And that's kind of the mystery with Taurus is how we open internally in an embodied way, in a true way. So we might think we're open to something, but at a deeper body or subconscious level, we're not. Um, so that's why I think of it as a mystery or like a self, self-knowing self practice. April 23rd, 2021, Mars will enter Cancer at 4.49 p.m. Pacific. Mars entering Cancer is like having our emotional life, so this water element, get put on simmer or boil. So how comfortable are you with heat? (laughs) Mars and cancer can be um, a little bit itchy on the inside. And uh, we might feel like we need to kind of burn off that steam or cook or have really good sex or go for a run. You know, something that we feel expresses that inner heat that we're running. At a lower level, egoic reactivity is a possibility with Mars and Cancer, feeling discomforted, feeling frustrated, feeling easily offended and prickled. This may be in the field as well, uh, the social field, even if we ourselves are less reactive because we've calibrated our nervous system and expanded our nervous system and all of that. Um, But this still invites the question of how we navigate being in a shared environment with a reactive person and the ways that we get enmeshed in that drama, you know, how we participate with other people's reactivity or if we have deep boundaries. At a higher level, there is emotional alchemy as a potential here. Emotions are not normally what we categorize as rational. Emotions can be more shamanic even. Emotions are waves of energy that affect and move us. There is a difference between simply being reactive versus allowing an emotion to catalyze change in our lives. Mars and Cancer also, uh, I've observed, you know, with individuals who have this placement that I've seen a lot of like massage therapists and say you think of cancer as like soothing, caressing the body (laughs) and Mars being like um, more pressure, more forceful kind of touch. Um, So Mars and Cancer can be um, fiercely protective or fiercely loving. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've seen it even just in the way that Mars and Cancer people interact with animals, how they dote, how open hearted they are with animals, how um, there's just a kind of like love and um, kinship or connection that comes through with cancer. And Mars is like very active, very, you know, it emphasizes things. So you can tune into that layer as well in terms of your relationship with touch, uh, whether it's partnered or self-touch, like how um, you bring that kind of heat um, or kind of Martian quality into these more soft kinds of things that cancer relates to. Uh, Mercury in 10 degrees of Taurus will conjunct Uranus in 10 degrees of Taurus at 11.42 p.m. Pacific. So remember what I was saying earlier about having a mind-body connection. Here we are again. Consider the spiritual technology of building a bridge between your thoughts and the way that your body feels. 
Generally, a lot of us already do this in the form of feeling cortisol or adrenaline when we have anxious thoughts. Anxiety is quite somatic or feeling peaceful and nourished when we are thinking harmonious thoughts or engaging with something beautiful. What I find really compelling and interesting about this is that I think there's a type of consciousness. Certainly that's what I observed, you know, around me before I had this idea that seemed like no one was on the same page as me, but I I think there's more conversation about it now. If creating an anxious story in your mind about something that isn't even happening in the moment, but you fear will happen, future tripping, if that actually creates chemical sensations in your body, and likewise, if doing something pleasurable or meditating on something beautiful or tuning your mind into a frequency that feels good in your body creates endorphins, how creative is that? What if we chose thought forms on purpose that created energy in the body? As a practice, it's world opening and revolutionary. So the mind-body connection is so world opening. Consider the difference between making a decision that feels right on paper, right logically speaking, right consensus wise, like everyone says it's what you should do, etc., but doesn't really have much charge in your body or feels a bit dreadful, okay, it's not your truth, versus making a decision that is a resounding yes in your entire body. And we get to do this the more that we invest in the mind-body connection. So for tuning and calibration, consider word spells like body, show me what truth feels like, or body, can you hear me? I just felt tingly. (laughs) Um, And feeling into the subtle sensations that emerge when you pose these invitations. Even like taking a deep breath if you want to clear your palate and get back into that body state and start to have that conversation with your body. The more we intentionally form this bridge, the clearer the messages become. I've been playing with this personally for years. I think I started around 2012, this process very consciously, and it's a deeper friendship with yourself. Like you start to um, really learn how to read parts of yourself that maybe you weren't paying attention to before. Um, and you gain more subtle discrimination or discernment about what a rush of addiction chemicals feels like versus what truth feels like. On that note, It becomes important to develop higher levels of discernment around the difference between truth and addiction. The body might crave cane sugar without cane sugar really being a true nutrient. We might feel addicted to particular sensations, even though these sensations are not the most life enhancing. In alignment with Taurus's slow going nature, it is totally possible and even likely that we can become more illuminated and self-aware about the patterns or addictions we are running before we discover a new way to be or inspired changes to make. It's grounding, even transformative to increasingly be with what is, even if it's not perfect, as opposed to numbing or dissociating from it. This layer of presence is an opening in of itself. So I think that there's something that can be immensely startling about Mercury Uranus awareness where you're getting these radical epiphanies and that level of heightened awareness sometimes catalyzes a change where you see something and now you can't unsee it and you have a new way to interact with it. But sometimes there's a a lag period where we see something, but we're not yet... um, We don't yet know how to create the bridge. So there's a a discomfort or a liminal space. Um, And that's also an opportunity to expand our nervous system and to be um, in acceptance of what is. 
um, and patient for, you know, the natural turnover or inspired idea or change that will come through in relation to that awakening. April 24th, 2021, Venus in 12 degrees of Taurus will square Saturn in 12 degrees of Aquarius at 9.22 p.m. Pacific. We love an angel number. Venus and Saturn were last conjunct in early February of 2021 in Aquarius. Venus was right in between that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And when they were last conjunct in February, that was the beginning of their synodic cycle together, just like the new moon is the beginning of a lunar cycle. At this square with Venus and Taurus square Saturn and Aquarius, we are at the first quarter mark, like a first quarter moon of the Venus-Saturn cycle. The Venus-Saturn cycle correlates with the concrete manifestation of art, beauty, love, and relationship and value. It also correlates with the ways that we reckon with our internal gatekeepers, where we tend to close our hearts or close off to connection, where we get crusty, in other words. In unfriendly environments, this can be the willingness to be alone in favor of choosing uh, unhealthy relationships. But I think I meant to say as opposed to choosing, not in favor. But when we actually have what we desire uh, with Venus Saturn, it's the path of opening to that. You know how that goes, like when you get what you actually want and there's kind of a Sometimes it's exciting and sometimes there's a little bit of a depression or emotions that come up because we're having to calibrate ourselves and open to that which we desired and now have. Some people may be more predisposed to be open to connection than others. And for others, it can be a form of work to open. So when we look at Venus Saturn, it's like the work that we put into relationship and connection or the work that we put into our relationship with connection and with opening. The first quarter square relates to a crisis in action, the necessity to make a choice, which brings us closer to the promise of the full moon, the state of full realization. And um, obviously not a full moon here, but the Venus-Saturn opposition to come. The first quarter square is an opportunity to potentially break free from the inertia of the past and the limitations of the past. This can show up as the opportunity to make decisions that take us out of our comfort zone, like we need to leap. So while some aspects of this moment may feel contracted in matters of the heart, Saturn relates to limitations and parameters, boundaries, and certainly contraction. There may also be an incredible amount of newness or momentum at the same time. Venus is conjunct Uranus, and this is a first quarter square with Venus and Saturn. So consider, for example, the internal state of someone who's about to make a huge purchase or get married. One has to calibrate how in alignment they are with the choice. Is it true? and galvanize their inner resources to commit to the path that they are taking. You know, maybe this person who's getting married or something, it's their first time getting married. They don't actually know what that is going to be like. They're moving toward a horizon point and there's that leap. It doesn't have to be as big or as obvious as a major life choice. Sometimes it's the new act of closing a door when we've always been open to uh, the wrong situations and we are in that pattern. And the act of having a boundary for the first time is a new choice. Or it could be the choice to repair a relationship or learn how to repair relationships um, instead of ghosting if our pattern has always been to run away. The focus here is simply a new choice in matters of the heart that potentially reflects a larger intention that we hold in manifesting a life that we truly value. And if you want to combine that with the Mercury-Uranus conjunction, as you're thinking about new choices, thinking about how they feel. 
April 25th, 2021. Mercury in 12 degrees of Taurus will square Saturn in 12 degrees of Aquarius at 4.58 a.m. Pacific. So you see here Mercury and Venus are about to form a conjunction, but they're doing all the same things with the outer planets. So this transit between Mercury, square Saturn, this can surface an awareness of negative thinking. Negative thinking is often based on trauma. Something went adversely in the past, and now we simply anticipate that same pattern. Even if our assessment of how a situation is going to go is fairly realistic, it doesn't mean we can't slow down and map out some other options. This is a first quarter square as well, signifying another place we can make new choices. If you have something on the horizon that you are anxious about, a meeting, an event, a project, etc., that you don't think will go well, consider honestly tracking what you are afraid of or concerned about as well as what you actually desire and strategizing an approach to the situation that mitigates your fears and elevates your desires. It is work to do this, sure, but it disrupts a whole snowball of unintentionality, fear, and paralysis that sets in when we expect the worst and aren't willing to strategize differently. Mercury Saturn is really interesting because it is kind of, it can be negative or critical thinking, um, but it also is like the editor's eye, knowing, you know, what's, what's off, what's out of alignment. And I think that Mercury Saturn can kind of almost things can feel slowed down. So something's on the horizon and you know, you're anxious about it. You know, you have all these negative anticipations, but it's still on the horizon and you still have time to switch the gears a little bit and create a different reality, but you just kind of have to pause and have that intention. Um, I have a, a general practice of this when Um, I'm anxious about things that are coming up in the future because I know that if I don't address that and I just walk into the future with all of that anxiety, that I'll tend to have experiences that confirm that anxiety. So if I can pause and pivot and recalibrate and have some creative solutions, um, it takes a little bit of energy, sure, but I end up having a better experience. And I think that it's pretty, you know, we're looking at Saturn and Aquarius, which is how we structure our mind, like what matrices we're participating in. And I think that sometimes when people are in a pattern of negative thinking, uh, there can be this Saturnian pessimism. This is just the way it is. Of course, this thing's going to go bad and it's going to go bad because of all these reasons. And it's like, that's just a a head trip. (laughs) And if you want to pause and revise that and come up with a different structure of consciousness to go into that experience with, you'll have a radically different experience. And it's a practice, of course, um, But just throwing it out there because it, in case it's a reminder to slow down and think um, and plan and troubleshoot. Then Mercury in 13 degrees of Taurus will conjunct Venus in 13 degrees of Taurus at 319 p.m. Pacific. This Venus-Mercury conjunction is so intricately connected to the Saturn-Uranus square of 2021. Again, check out my full video on that square if you haven't seen it, linked below. Saturn-Uranus is a zeitgeist of disruption to the status quo, as well as the quick breaking down or building up of structure. I mean, it's interesting that the transit can do both, but it does, (laughs) because some things collapse quickly and some things are um, constructed very quickly, all at the same time. It's a creative, unstable energy. Some things get concretely accelerated and quickened, while other developments seem to be stalled or slowed down or blocked. Venus-Mercury contacts, on the other hand, relate to ease and harmony around communications, writing, conversation, body language, and really relating and getting on the same page as others, or having like a flirtatious persuasiveness, winning minds and hearts, you could say. As these planetary archetypes merge, here's a thought. 
how attached are you to stability? And what are you seeking to stabilize? You might not find it as simple as you might have hoped or expected to achieve the stability. I mean, that's what Mercury and Venus and Taurus kind of want, what Taurus wants. Um, but Saturn, you're honest. There's some, there's some energy there uh, with some unexpected uh, timing, things going faster, things going slower. But you can still enjoy this time period or find value from it. Mercury is like the god of adaptation, you know, being flexible, being mercurial. And it's conjunct Venus, the planet of pleasure. So there is a moment here to find pleasure in our adaptability, to find pleasure in our cleverness. Every little experience you collect along the way is arguably part of the stabilization. Balance is wobbly until it isn't. So can you find the sensuality and meaning in exactly what is happening, our theme here again, even if it is not a mere reflection of your fantasy of what you wish were happening. So just enjoying what is, is a form of grounding. And this is not to say you can't have a long-term vision or be building something in your life or be aspirational. Still all about that. But are you also enjoying the journey there? Because... There's a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns that happen in between the present moment and the final destination. And I think that the Mercury-Venus conjunction in Taurus interacting with this Saturn-Uranus square is a reminder to drop into all of those, you know, like imagine I took a dance workshop from Sahara Rose and she was talking about um, this image of scooping a peanut butter jar and like getting into like, you know, just scooping everything so that when you move, you're like feeling into your full range and you're kind of like scooping. And similarly with life, with Taurus, with the sensuality of Taurus, are you scooping the edges of the jar when it comes to the full depth and breadth of your experiences? Um, even if things are kind of erratic right now, which they may be uh, with all of this Saturn-Uranus energy and just even what's happening in the world. Um, the kind of restabilization or post, you know, we're not post-COVID yet, but far along in COVID, destabilizing, restabilizing dance. Like that's just happening. Um, April 26, 2021, full moon in seven degrees of Scorpio at 8.32 p.m. Pacific. The sun forms a stellium with Uranus, Venus, Mercury, and black moon Lilith in Taurus, opposing this solo moon in Scorpio. Nothing else in Scorpio. The sun and moon square Saturn in Aquarius. This full moon feels ripe with the complexity of intimacy. It's not only the Taurus-Scorpio axis, which is very intimate and very tantric, but the moon's fullest light is in the sign of Scorpio, which is all about intimacy, depth, and the potential for enmeshment. The moon is opposite a Taurus stellium, suggesting that we are experiencing emotional depth and direct relationship to the tangible material circumstances that we're currently involved in. So... I know that's like a kind of simple concept. I want to break it down a little bit though. If we think about the moon as a reflector, like the moon actually reflects the sun's light and the moon is kind of like it grows and shrinks and changes in relationship to the light. So it's this receiver of light and the light that is it is going to be most dramatically mirroring is this Taurus element, Taurus stellium. And Scorpio is like the depth of feeling. A full moon is already very emotional. So just thinking about a deep emotional response to what 
is tangibly happening at a basic level. And that can be such a celebration if we choose that or if we like what's happening. And it can also be so tumultuous if we are in resistance to what's happening in our lives. It's also an emotional reveal, you know, like when things are getting to a fever pitch of dysfunctionality in our lives, full moons is like werewolf energy around that. Like it's such a illuminated brightness. It is such an epiphany. It is such a checkpoint. So given that it's reflecting, you know, our tangible Taurus, you know, earth experience, this is not very theoretical or fantasy oriented. If our direct material circumstances do not reflect our fantasies or preferences, we might feel deflated or disappointed, like fallen from those fantasies. And then even if our direct material circumstances do reflect our fantasies or preferences, we may feel the fear of loss or feel like we're possessive and gripping. The issue here is conditionality, expecting or wanting something other than what is and whatever will be, wanting something other than we have or not wanting to lose what we do have. That's the trap. The moon in Scorpio could signify the necessity to surrender our tendencies to grip or try to control and to actually let that go. Gripping is a disempowered state that signifies that we outsource our power in that which we are trying to grip when there are deeper forms of power that cannot be taken away or lost. Notice if you are gripping onto anything. In a sense, it's like a trapdoor with the whole new layers of the universe just below it. This moon in Scorpio feels like a descent, one that we might be kicking and screaming about, or one that can be juicy with deepened trust in life and the universe. It really just depends on where we are in our practice when it comes to surrender and acceptance. I know that's a little bit heavy, but the moon is forming a T-square with Saturn. And I just wanted to put that out there um, because that's what came through. And not only this, but on April 27th, so what, like the next day, Pluto stations retrograde in 26 degrees of Capricorn at 1.01 p.m. Pluto stations are generally, as I've observed them, stirring, <laughs> so stirring. It's kind of like... Um, simmering in your own psychological material and it either is in your inner world or you feel it reflected in how you're perceiving things. Pluto is the modern ruler of Scorpio and correlates with the underworld, the deep psyche, our deepest compulsions, our deepest desires, the unseen and hidden layers of reality and the unconscious and power dynamics. So, I mean, I love Pluto. Pluto's a really big player in evolutionary astrology. Watching Pluto stations in the past have taught me that, you know, and just for clarity here, when planets station, um, it's from the perspective of earth. They're not actually stopping and changing directions as I'm sure, you know, but it's kind of like, because it's coming to a halt from our perspective, it kind of sharpens and intensifies and becomes like, um, if our like our life was like a glass of water, it's like an ink drop that fuses the whole body of water. So it tints the experience. It becomes a loud planet. So watching Pluto stations in the past have taught me that waking life can easily become dreamlike. Quote, real life does not always feel rational. Sometimes we are overcome with moods or the visuals and our life experience become increasingly vivid and strange. Pluto stations are a good time to take responsibility for our projections, working through our own stories, triggers, and judgments, as opposed to simply believing them as other.
Pluto experiences can speak to our need for catharsis. So we need theater, we need drama, we need dance, we need the voice and so on to express the depths that arise through us. So if you know it's a full moon in Scorpio, depth of emotion, Pluto stationing, it's going to be very rich with soulful content and a lot of emotional tinting. And this can be really powerful and really shamanic even. And working with how we move it through, how it becomes connected to our creativity, to our power, and being really mindful, you know, with anything Pluto or Scorpio, how we outsource our power and therefore demonize or create enemies or become needy or possessive when that power is actually inside of us and we just haven't claimed it. And being with that rippling, cathartic intensity of when we detendril ourselves, like ivy or something, like when we take that energy back in and sit in our own actual power. Then these kinds of transits, then life can feel so much juicier (laughs) as opposed to us being pulled around by... um, these other forces that we feel powerless in the face of. So I think I'll leave with that and um, just say thank you so much for watching and please, you know, leave a thought like this video and check out the course page if you want to learn more about evolutionary astrology and learn in a really awesome community. And I will see you again, I hope next week. But um, my YouTube presence may be flickering for a moment here because maybe it won't. My heart just hurt when I said that. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, I'm just kind of going through like moving adjustments and like moving places somewhat frequently. Um, But I aim to be here as often as possible. And I definitely will have written versions of the forecasts most weeks if you want to check monarchastrology.com or get on the mailing list. All right. I love you all. Thank you for being here. And I hope that you have a rich and powerful full moon in Scorpio.